You can have a seat. So good to see you this morning, church family. Let's pray together. Pray with me as we pray together. Lord, you're king of all. We trust you. We want to crown you with many crowns, for you are worthy of worship. You are worthy of praise. You are worthy of are devoting our entire lives to you, to your cause. So we pray, Lord, this morning, open the eyes of your servants and let us behold wondrous things in your word. Open our eyes that we might behold glorious truths in your truth. Help us to see truth in such a way that we don't handle it flippantly, but that we handle it reverently, applying it to our lives, embracing it as true Oh, God forbid that we would handle Your truth in a flippant way. Help us to handle Your truth seriously and with faith this morning. Oh, God, gladden the souls of Your servants by Your Word. Gladden our souls as we see who You are and what You've done for us in Jesus. Remind us of what we have because we are united to Jesus. And amaze us by that in such a way that we would be changed by Your truth. Oh God, break up the hard and thorny ground of our hearts. Plow it up that we might have fertile ground that as the seed of Your Word lands on our hearts, it might bear fruit 30, 60, 100 fold for Your glory and for our good. Oh God, accomplish Your work in Your way. Prepare us to partake of the Lord's Supper. Prepare us to receive this holy food that we might be transfixed on Jesus. That we might be enamored with who you are and what you've done for us to make us your sons and daughters. Teach us now, we pray, in Jesus' great name. Amen. And amen. What a joy to sing together. What a joy to remind ourselves of these awesome truths that we've been singing. And so let's continue worshiping. Let's continue crowning Him with many crowns by opening our Bibles to Romans chapter 8. The Great Eight. This is the seventh of eight planned sermons in this epic chapter of God's Holy Word. We'll consider Romans 8, verses 31 through 34 this morning. I'm going to start at verse 31. And then I'm going to read all the way through the end of the chapter just to get a little more of the context, but we're going to focus down on verses 31 through 34. So here's Romans 8, beginning in verse 31. What a privilege to read God's Word over you today. Paul says, What then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation or distress, or persecution, or famine, or nakedness, or danger, or sword. As it is written, for your sake, we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. 
For I am sure, for I am sure that neither death nor life, nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in all creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. This is the precious word of our God. May He inscribe it into our very being. Romans 8, as you can see just from even these last few verses of the chapter, are about the security of our salvation in Jesus. Romans 8 is about the security of our salvation in Jesus. Verse 1 of Romans 8 says there is no condemnation ever for those in Jesus. Verse 39 says that there will never ever be any separation from the love of God in Jesus. So our salvation in Jesus is more secure than the most valuable jewels locked away in some deep vault behind some high-tech lasers. Believers are indwelt with the Spirit as a guarantee of their salvation. Believers have been adopted as God's own sons. Believers have the promise that God is working all things together for their good. And believers have the unbreakable chain of salvation that ends with certain glorification. It would be impossible, friends, for Romans 8 to more emphatically declare that we are secure in Jesus. And yet, and yet, in our everyday lives, we find ourselves facing all kinds of doubts and insecurities and fears about our relationship with God. And one of the reasons this is true, that even though God's Word is so clear about our security, that yet we still live with fear and doubt and insecurity and anxiety, one of the reasons that's true is because Revelation chapter 12 says we have an accuser. Our enemy hurls accusations against us day and night. We have a spiritual foe that we wrestle with according to Ephesians chapter 6. And one of the devil's main objectives is to rob us of the security and joy of our salvation. Satan will do whatever it takes to dismantle the assurance of our salvation that passages like Romans 8 teach. Ephesians 6 says that we need to take up the shield of faith to extinguish the fiery darts that our enemy shoots at us. The picture is our enemy is hurling flaming arrows toward us daily. Revelation 12 says day and night. And one of the, the oldest strategies of our enemy is to daily compromise the security we have in Jesus. Satan loves to make suggestions and accusations that undermine everything we know to be true. Everything we know. He says to us, God is against you. God is withholding good from you. God will eternally condemn you because of your sin. Your sins can't really be fully forgiven. You deserve to be separated from God eternally. Our accuser points to us and tries to even inform God of our guilt. Consider Justin Childers. He's a pastor. 
And yet, look at what he's thinking. Look at his life and how it contradicts what he's preaching. Look at that leader in the church. He or she looks so good to everyone else. All these great things they do, but she's selfish. He's stingy and lustful and faithless. How could you ever send your son to die for such a hypocrite like that? And the devil isn't content just to make accusations before God. No, he also wants to distract us from the Gospel. Satan doesn't want you to hear and know and believe Romans 8. He does not want you to have boundless joy in your salvation. He wants to keep you down on yourself. He wants you to feel guilty about your sin. He wants to rob you of your assurance. He wants you to take your eyes off of Jesus and onto your guilt and onto your shame and onto your failures and onto your shortcomings. And Paul knows this. And so in these verses, Paul seeks to unveil and destroy Satan's accusations against us. Notice that there are at least five questions Paul raises in these verses. And all of these come from Paul's experience of questioning and doubting that the Gospel can really be true. After the initial question, what then shall we say to these things? Paul asks first, if God is with us, who can be against us? Second, He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? Third, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? Fourth, who is to condemn? And fifth, in verse 35, He continues asking questions with, who shall separate us? from the love of Christ. Each of these questions and the corresponding truth give us a shield with which to extinguish the flaming arrows of our adversaries. Of our adversary. And so consider in this passage this morning four foundational truths that shield us from some common fiery darts that Satan often throws at us. As we go through these common darts that are thrown at us. See if you don't resonate with these subtle accusations that you find in your own soul. And Paul gives us a shield against these fiery darts. So do you have anxiety in your heart? Are depression and despair constant companions of yours? Do you struggle with being downcast and discouraged? Do you lack assurance of your salvation? If so, take this medicine from God's Word. Take this medicine in the form of these propositional truths. Number one, in Jesus, God is for you, not against you. In Jesus, Paul says, God is for you, not against you. I think verse 31 is a summary of all Paul has said up until this point in the book of Romans and especially in Romans chapter 8. These things in verse 31 refers to the gospel that Paul has been explaining. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Jesus. Through the death and resurrection of Jesus, God has proven that He loves us and He has a good plan for us. We have been foreknown, predestined, called, justified. Our glorification is sure. And Paul, as he considers all that he has said about this glorious gospel, 
he is left speechless. All he can say is, what shall we say to these things? In other words, these glories are so lofty and so great, they, they go beyond our comprehension even. And yet, as Paul exclaims, what shall we say to these things? He does not remain silent. <laughs> he goes on explaining and summarizing what God has done for us and who he is for us. Notice verse 31 again and the second question there. If God is for us, who can be against us? So here's a summary of Paul's gospel. God has called us to himself. He has justified us by His grace. He has given His Son as a sacrifice for us. And He has united us to Jesus by faith. In other words, God is for us. God is for us. It's the best, most breathtaking news we could ever consider. Especially considering how sinful we are. Almighty God is for us not against us. Because of our sin, God should be against us. It would be very natural for God to be against us. But because of the work of Jesus on our behalf, Holy Creator, awesome God is for us. So here's a truth to preach to your anxiety and to your depression and to your doubt. Almighty God is for you in Jesus. If you're united to Jesus by faith, God is not against you. He is eternally for you. And if God is for you, no one can successfully be against you. Yes, we might want to respond to this question with, there are a lot of people against us. There are a lot of things against us. And that's true. But if God is for us, who cares who's against us? That's the tone of this question. No one of consequence, no one of standing can be against you if God is for you. And as His blood-bought children God is entirely for us, never against us. The accuser may tell you that. The accuser may point to the circumstances of your life as evidence that God is against us. But we can be sure that God is for us. King David had a dark period of his life where it seemed like everyone was against him. He was constantly on the run because Saul wanted to kill him. Others wanted to kill him. He hid in caves. He fled to enemy cities in order to avoid Saul's wrath. And one time he was captured by the Philistines in the city of Gath. And he wrote Psalm 56 that we read earlier in the service. And in Psalm 56, David described how he felt like everyone was against him. Have you ever felt like that? You felt like everyone, just everything is just against you? But instead of fretting and fearing, David put his trust in God and he made this declaration. He said, this I know, that God is for me. This I know, this I'm sure of, that God is for me. It was in the most dark and painful days of his life that David remembered God is on his side. Friends, what comfort and peace we could have if we could just remember that God is for us. My prayer as I've been thinking about this, for my, even for my own heart and, and for yours as well, is that, that this question of verse 31 would be burned on our souls. 
I pray that we would be able to recall this truth at every dark moment and in every despair and in every frustration in this fallen world. Whatever sickness, whatever disease, whatever death we face, may we declare, since God is for us, who can be against us? But how do we know? How do we know God is really for us? How can we be certain that verse 31 is true? Well, Paul continues in verse 32 with the second shield against the flaming darts of the evil one. Number two, in Jesus, God is withholding nothing good from you. In Jesus, God is withholding nothing good from you. I love Romans 8.32. If you don't have a favorite verse, if you don't have any verses memorized, I just encourage you to start with Romans 8.32. This is a precious promise that is yes and amen in Jesus. Romans 8.32 is the answer to the question of how we know God is for us. Our security that God is for us is grounded in the finished work of Jesus on the cross. God is for us means that God promises overflowing and never-ending generosity to us. Look at verse 32 again. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, how will He not also with Him graciously give us all things? So there are two parts to the logic of verse 32. Do you see the logic? This is an argument from the greater to the lesser, or from the hard to the easy. Paul is saying if God has done the harder thing, which is crush His Son, He will certainly do the easier thing, which is give us everything we need. Right? Since God didn't spare His own Son, but gave Him up to torture and death and suffering and punishment, that's the greater thing then He will certainly give us everything Jesus purchased for us. That's the lesser thing. If He put His Son to death for us, we can be confident that He's withholding nothing good from us. Consider an example. It's a silly example, I know. But imagine that you're sick. And imagine that I offer to get your prescriptions from the pharmacy. I drive to the pharmacy... I wait while the, the pharmacist fills the prescription. I wait for over an hour. I head towards your house after I get the prescriptions to bring them to you. And as you're waiting for me, you realize that it's trash day. And you have no strength to get up out of bed and push your trash can down to the end of the driveway. And so, remembering that I'm about to come bring your prescriptions, you text me and say, hey, would you mind putting the trash can out by the road? What do you think I'd say? Do you think I'd say, are you kidding me? No way. You're asking way too much. No, if I do the harder thing, I will surely do the easier thing. Doing the harder thing gives you confidence that I'll do the easier thing. The easier thing is guaranteed because the harder thing was done. And so Paul says, if God the Father gave up His Son, His own precious Son to death, then why would we ever worry that He would not give us everything that we need? There is no greater thing in the universe that God could do for us than give up His own Son. Nothing greater He could do. And so, why would He withhold any good thing from us? 
It would be absurd for God to give His only Son and not give you everything you need. See, this verse is a death blow to our anxiety-laden, doubt-filled hearts. The death of Jesus Christ on the cross proves that God is for you, not against you. He will certainly give you everything you need to trust in Him. Listen, right now, if you're in Christ, God is withholding nothing from you that is good for you. If you're in Jesus, God is withholding nothing that is good for you. And notice what Paul says, the father, that the Father gave up His own Son for us all. He gave up His own Son for us all. Now, Paul isn't saying that every single person has salvation because Jesus died on the cross. The all here clearly points back to verses 28 to 30 where the all is defined as those who love God. Those who are called according to His purpose. God gave up His Son for those whom He predestined to be conformed to the image of His Son. And so if you're trusting in Jesus, if you're in Him, the all, you're part of this all who benefit from the Father delivering up His Son to death. This is what God has done to prove that He's withholding nothing good from you. This is the most difficult thing imaginable for God to do. He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us all, and that's the proof that He will certainly, graciously give us everything that we need. So here's a massive truth to extinguish the flaming darts of the enemy. The Father has given His Son to die in our place for our sins, and along with Him, He promises to give us everything that's good for us. And if He did the difficult thing, He will certainly do the easier thing. God is not withholding anything good from you. Third, shield against the flaming darts of the enemy is this. In Jesus, God will never allow you to be condemned. In Jesus, God will never allow you to be condemned. Look at the questions of verses 33 and 34. Paul asks, who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died. More than that, who was raised. Who is at the right hand of God. Who indeed is interceding for us. So our accuser brings charges against us. He condemns us before God and in our own consciences. He wants us to feel like we have no place in God's presence and in God's family. He tells us that we deserve death and hell. But God's Word says we are His elect. This is a term of endearment. We are the ones who have been chosen by God from before the foundation of the world. We are His by His own choice. And so Paul is saying we should find security in God's election of us. We are His elect. We are shielded against the charges that are brought against us because we are His chosen people. Why? Because God is the one who justifies. If God has justified us, we ha already have God's approval of us in Jesus we don't need to listen to the enemy's accusations and charges. God has said we are His. God has said we are chosen. God has said we are His elect. Verse 34, who's to condemn us? That is, who can successfully condemn us for whom there is no more condemnation ever? Who can condemn those who have no condemnation? 
Romans 8.1 is a great comfort. Great comfort. There is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. And so Paul is saying, don't fear the condemnation of God or of anyone else. And Paul gives some reasons why no one can condemn us in verse 34. In many ways, these reasons in verse 34 are like weapons that we can use against our doubts, our fears, our anxiety, our depression, our helplessness and hopelessness. These are weapons at our disposal to go on the offensive against our enemy. And so under this third point, consider just four quick reasons why no one can successfully charge us or condemn us. Why can no one bring accusations against us? Why can no one condemn us? Paul says first, because Jesus died for our sins. You notice in a pattern, Paul continues to point us back to the cross of Jesus. Paul says Jesus is the one who died. He is the one whom the Father gave up for us. And if Jesus died, we need not fear any accusation or condemnation that threatens us. Listen, we don't hide behind our good works. We don't plead our excellent morality. <laughs> we don't excuse our sin by saying, I'm usually more holy than that. I don't usually make those kind of mistakes. No, friends, we trust in the cross of Jesus Christ alone. We can say to our fears and to our doubts, Jesus died in my place. He took my place so that I never, ever have to be condemned. Secondly, Jesus was raised from the dead. Jesus was raised from the dead. Paul says more than that, more than the death of Jesus is the resurrection of Jesus, Paul says. And so the resurrection of Jesus is a massive shield with which we can extinguish the flaming darts of doubt and insecurity. The resurrection proves that the death of Jesus was sufficient in every way. And if Jesus was raised, so will His chosen people be raised. Third, Jesus is at the right hand of God, Paul says. He died for our sins, He rose from the dead, and He is at the right hand of God. Now the right hand of God is a metaphor for the place of power and authority. No one else in all of creation holds this special place in the universe. When Jesus completed the work of redemption, He sat down at the Father's side to show that His work was finished and that He is preeminent in all of creation. No one can challenge the authority of Jesus. He is central and preeminent. And therefore, why would we ever fear that someone will overpower Jesus and condemn us? He is on the throne. He is at the Father's right side. He is in the place of power and authority. And fourth, notice Jesus makes intercession for us. Paul says Jesus is interceding for us. So this is a present tense verb in verse 34 signifying continual action. Jesus is constantly pleading our case. In verse 27, remember we learned the Holy Spirit is interceding for us. And now he says Jesus Himself is interceding for us. So who can accuse you? Who can condemn you if Jesus is interceding on your behalf. Who do you fear if Jesus is pleading your case? Robert Murray McShane said this about the intercession of Jesus. He said, if I could hear Christ praying for me in the next room, I would not fear a million enemies. And yet, distance makes no difference. He is praying for me. 
Church family, speak to your anxiety. Speak to your despair and remind it that Jesus is pleading your case and therefore no one can condemn you. No one can accuse you before God because Jesus is your advocate, your mediator, your intercessor. The song we're going to sing at the end of the service today, before the throne of God above, I have a strong and perfect plea, a great high priest who ever lives and pleads for me. When Satan tempts me to despair and tells me of the guilt within, upward I look and see Him there who made an end to all my sin. Because the sinless Savior died, my sinful soul is counted free. For God the just is satisfied to look on Him and pardon me. To look on Him and pardon me. Could it be any more sure that in Jesus you will never, ever be condemned? Fourth and finally, and really quickly, in Jesus, God will never ever give up on you. Here's the fourth shield. In Jesus, God will never ever give up on you. In verse 35, Paul continues asking questions with, Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? And he goes on in the rest of the chapter to answer that question with an emphatic crescendo. No one and no thing can separate us from the love of God in Christ. God will keep us to the end. Our salvation is as secure as God is faithful to His promises. He will never, ever give up on us. So, since God is for us, who can be against us? Answer? No one of consequence. If God gave His only Son, will He withhold from us anything that we need? Answer? No possible way. If God justifies us, who's to condemn or accuse us as God's elect? Answer? No one withstanding. And can anyone or anything separate us from the love of God in Christ? Answer? No, we are more than conquerors through Him who loved us. So how should we respond to these epic truths today? Four application thoughts. Let's apply God's Word together today. First, allow these truths to propel you to worship. Allow these truths to propel you to worship. These truths should lead us to sing and celebrate. Paul wants us to feel awe and wonder at these things. Praise God that He's for us. Praise God that He promises to withhold nothing good from us. Praise God that we never have to fear condemnation. Praise God that nothing can separate us from His love. Secondly, allow these truths to free you from gloom and despair. Allow these truths to free you from your fear and anxiety, from your gloom and from your despair. How many saints throughout the history of the church has God cheered with these truths? How many downcast and depressed saints has God used these truths to free them from that gloom? And I'm praying He does that again right now today. Friends, if you're in Jesus, you are loved. 
You are forgiven, you are elected, and you are secure. Third, allow these truths to make you thankful that you are part of the body of Jesus. Allow these truths to make you thankful that you are part of the body of Christ. Just look back over these verses really quickly and notice the community language. There's no hint of individualism here. Paul asked, what shall we say to these things? If God is for us, He gave Him up for us all. He will give us all things. Jesus is interceding for us. Who shall separate us? This passage is intentionally corporate. Paul is writing to a diverse group of people in Rome, Jews and Gentiles, rich and poor, male and female. And it is only the Gospel that unites these people in Christ. And friends, we get to be part of this great family of believers. We get to be part of this great throng of people who have been redeemed by the precious blood of Christ. And so be thankful that you get to be part of this body. And finally, number four, allow these truths to embolden you for mission. Allow these truths to embolden you to do what God has called you and I to do, to be on mission for Him. Listen, assurance of salvation is not meant to make us apathetic. Rather, it is meant to give us courage to be part of the mission of God, to fill the earth with the glory and the knowledge of Himself. Friends, the reason we can do hard things, the reason we can have hard conversations is because these truths are true. Who can be against us if God is for us? So let these truths set you ablaze for the glory of God among the unreached people groups of this world. And let these truths set you ablaze to share this good news with the people that you live with, that you encounter, that you work with every single day. Allow these truths to free you from all fear of man and from fear of rejection. And let these truths propel you to say, I must speak about my Savior to those I encounter. And I must see to it that His Gospel is known far and wide. Friends, this is a great Sunday for us to partake of the Lord's Supper together. Because the message of the Lord's Supper is that the Father did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up to suffering and death for our sins. The bread that we're going to partake, the cup that we're going to partake, remind us that God is for us and not against us. Jesus' body was broken and His blood was poured out for our sin, even our sins of doubt and worry and fear. Jesus did not come to die for righteous people who have perfect faith and never doubt. There are no people like that. There are only anxiety-filled, doubt-filled rebels like you and me. And so if you know yourself to be a sinner, this meal is for you this morning. Jesus invites you to acknowledge your lack of faith, to acknowledge your doubts. He invites you to come and enjoy the bountiful provision of His grace to you in Jesus. Are you a worrier? Do you fret? Do you despair? Come to Jesus and find grace today. Does your chest tighten up when you think about the future? And come to Jesus and hear His promise that He is for you and not against you. Do you have a tendency to worst case scenario the future? Find rest in the fact that the Father did not spare His own Son, 
but gave him up for us all. And Jesus is constantly interceding on your behalf. Listen, beloved, if you come to Jesus in faith today, he will never cast you out. He will never mock your foolish doubts. He will never tell you that you're getting what you deserve. He will never tire of telling you that you're loved, that you're chosen. He will never say he's irritated by your questions and your doubts. He won't tell you that his helping you is wasting his time. He will never quit on you. He will never turn his back. He will never walk away. He pours his mercy on the proud and on the selfish and on the worrier. He doesn't ask us to clean ourselves up before he'll pay us any attention. He wraps his arms around in love, around broken and messed up people. And there is no problem that he cannot solve today. And there is no addiction that he cannot break. And there is no worry that he cannot soothe. He will graciously give all things to his people. And so if you're trusting in Jesus today, if you're banking on his promises, if you've committed yourself to his people through baptism and church membership, then we invite you to partake of these elements as you trust in the goodness of these promises, of these truths. You have been invited to this feast this morning, not because you are worthy, but because Jesus has done in your place what you could never do for yourself. You've not been faithful, but enjoy this grace because it's not dependent on you. Enjoy this feast because of what Jesus has done in your place for your sins. But if you're not trusting in Jesus today, you should not partake of these elements. If Jesus is not your treasure, if you do not trust Him as Lord and Savior, you should plead with God in this moment to change your heart. Ask Him to help you repent of your sin. Ask Him to help you embrace Jesus as everything good for you. And the good news is that God can do that right now. He can change the hardest heart he can open the most shut eyes and so run to Jesus today. He alone can save. He alone can rescue. So as 1 Corinthians 11 commands us to do, we're going to take a moment for the purpose of examining ourselves before we partake of these elements. The music team is going to come. The deacons are going to go ahead and come. We're going to be passing out the elements. And as these elements are being passed around, as we sing this song together, repent of your anxiety Repent of your worry and cling to the truths of Romans 8, 31 through 34. God is for you, not against you. He is withholding nothing good from you. No one can ever condemn you because you are His and nothing will ever separate you from His love.